0: Hopefully we can get to the point where, you know, maybe the majority of businesses are driven not just by shareholder value, but by consideration of the community, the employees and the environment.
1: From Deergo Collective, this is Responsibly Different, sharing stories of certified B corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. I'm Ben Marine, and in this episode, I sat down with brewmaster and founder of Allagash Brewing, Rob Todd. Rob founded Allagash just over 25 years ago in 1995, and is a leader not just in creating award-winning Belgian-inspired beers, but also in running an innovative company on the forefront of sustainability and workplace innovation. Allagash sidestreams 99% of their waste, keeping it from ever going to the landfill, donates 1% of sales to local nonprofits, and has made the list of Maine's best places to work for over seven years. Join me in learning more about how Rob and his team at Allagash Brewing are responsibly different. First off, I want to congratulate you on 25 years. I know your first beer was the Allagash White, and at the time, there was nothing like it on the beer market. I'm so curious, can you describe some of the pushback that you received from the market and how you persevered through that.
0: Yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. La- this last summer was our 25th anniversary. We certainly did not expect to celebrate it the way we celebrated it because it was kind of right in the middle of COVID. And we had, um, you know, a lot of plans just to, to celebrate with a bunch of events here at the brewery and out in the trade and printing special glasses and all that stuff. And, uh obviously, um, our plans had to change just a little bit because of COVID. But yeah, it, it has been now just over 25 years. You know, w- one of the most important things for me when I started Allagash, and this is going back to like 1994, early 95, before I started brewing... Um, I, mean, I was basically cobbling the brewery together with a bunch of old dairy equipment. I did a lot of the work myself, like cut the drain the trenches in the floor, did a lot of the welding and plumbing and electrical work. And, you know, I, I knew that it would take me months and months of cobbling the brewery together. And the hope was that I'd be doing this for the rest of my life. Um, I I really didn't see the utility in making a beer that people could already get. I mean, why, like, go to all this trouble only to make something people could already get? Um, I mean, you know, arguably, we probably should have come out with something people were more familiar with, like a lager or a pale ale or, you know, one of the Pacific Northwest pale ales, uh, one of the British style beers, because we probably could have sold a lot more beer out the gate. But it was really important to me to give to give people an experience with beer that they had never had before. And I looked at the Belgian brewing tradition as an opportunity to do that. And the first beer I rolled out was Allagash White. And um, I, I made it alone for the first year, draft only, just in the Portland, Maine um, market. And yeah, it wasn't received too well. I mean, it was people back in 1995 hadn't seen Cloudy beers and they hadn't, not many people had tasted beers that were fermented with the traditional Belgian yeast strain and spiced with coriander and orange peel. So the common reaction when I went in to pour a glass of beer to buyers was like, what's wrong with it? And then they tasted, they'd be like, why does it taste like this? What's up with these aromas? And so, you know, I had succeeded in giving people a unique experience with beer, but It was so unique that it was an uphill battle for, you know, a good decade, really.
1: And I think what's so cool about that, too, is Allagash White just won, what, its fourth gold this year, in 2020?
0: We just won a gold in the uh, Great American Beer Fest, which was a nice little ray of sunshine in the middle of COVID. (laughs) So
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to get, I mean, that's not why... Um, it's not really what drives us and motivates us, but but it's nice to get that recognition because everyone here has worked awful hard for twenty five years, so it's it's nice to be able to to get that recognition.
1: That's great. Well, and congrats on that for sure. Um, I know doing things differently and kind of driving innovation seems to be a staple at Allagash. You were also the first brewery in the United States to brew the traditional lambic style spontaneously fermented beers. As the company has grown, how have you managed to continue to cultivate that sense of creativity and innovation within your team? So
0: I mean, you know, like I said, and I didn't use this word innovation, but giving the unique experience with beer um, when I started was one of the one of the kind of prime motivators for me. And that, of course, is dri- is driven by innovation, and innovation is one of our core values here. Um, it's something we talk about a lot, but, but it is much more than just like a plaque on the wall and a talking point. Like all of our core values, we really work hard to live them. And one of the ways we live our innovation core value is we've got this really cool little 10-gallon pilot brew system. We're actually running it today. I just walked by it on the way up here. Um, we were running it yesterday. Um, and and we, we run that little system um, twice a week, year round. So and, and, and the cool thing about this program is anyone at the company that has an idea for a beer. So it doesn't matter if you work in the marketing department, accounting out in our sales force, uh, at our, uh, at our Warren Ave warehouse, a brewer here at the brewery, doesn't matter what your role is. If you've got an idea for a beer, you can go to the team that, uh, manages this pilot, uh, brew house and uh, propose the idea and brew a 10-gallon batch of beer. So we're literally, you know, not only are we developing 100 or so unique recipes a year, we've got all 150, like, very passionate employees here coming up with with ideas. And a lot of these beers have become full-scale production beers. Uh, Mariah, who has a desk right next to mine, who who would be here if it weren't for, for COVID, she... Uh, loves champagne, and she came up with this great idea to do kind of a champagne beer hybrid. Um, so the beer is based on fermentation um, with grape must, and it also uses a uh, champagne yeast. And that that beer we just brewed on a little ten gallon system. It got real popular internally, so we made a bigger batch a number of years ago and sold it in our store. Then it became a statewide release and then a national release. And that beer is called Two Lights. And it's one of our one of the most popular beers that's come off that system. And, you know, we literally have a quiver of hundreds of recipes, um, kind of all queued up and ready to go. Uh, that's where the idea for Little Grove came from, which was a release uh, just a few months ago.
1: Oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. That is really neat. And I, speaking of your team, I know that you and the rest of the leadership invest deeply in your employees beyond just great pay and great benefits. And in addition to the pilot beer program, you also have the Belagash trips to Belgium. Can you walk us through how those got started and and how they work today?
0: Well, uh, full disclosure, I borrowed that idea from from another brewery out West that mentioned they do that. And I was like, this, this would be a really cool opportunity. The, the, the two things I, I like about, that program most so if someone's here for five years we bring them on a trip to belgium and you know besides just the thank you for five years of of hard work it's a really cool opportunity for people just to be immersed in the belgian brewing culture and all of our beers come out come out of this culture so we're able to go over there for about a week and and just bounce around and visit uh different breweries experience the belgian uh cuisine um, so it's a really cool opportunity to be immersed in the Belgian brewing tra- tradition. But it's also cool because it's an opportunity for me. Um, I-, I go on the trip with Jason, our brewmaster, um, every year with with the team of people who have been there for five years. It's a it's a cool way to bond over a number of days, like completely outside the brewery, outside the country, and just like get to know coworkers um spending a spending a week together uh just experiencing these belgian beers so um you know again it's like the innovation program doesn't matter what department you're from if you've been here for five years you go to belgium with us so it's it's a lot of fun it's something i look forward to every year unfortunately like a lot of things with covid that's on hold for a little while it's looking like we're going to miss at least two of those trips so I don't know. Maybe I'll get to go on like three of them in a row <laughs> 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 nice. when, when this is over, which I sure won't complain about because they're fun.
1: Oh, I believe it. I believe it. That's awesome. Um, speaking of that, like speaking of staff and, and some of those pieces, you guys have a, a volunteer paid volunteer time hours. I'm just curious, how does that work? Do folks, do they, does everybody have a bank of time that they can use towards volunteering or because that's, I, and I asked partly because it's something that we've talked a lot about implementing, Um, And so I'm just curious kind of like how that what that looks like.
0: Yeah. So any employee here is encouraged to use their volunteer time off their VTO hours. And every employee uh, gets compensated for up to 16 hours a year of volunteer time. Um, We have a lot of employees that that hit that um obviously some end up exceeding it but they're compensated for those 16 hours and then if you do hit your 16 hours you know it's it's celebrated in a weekly newsletter that we do here at the brewery but we Allegash will also donate $200 to an organization of that employee's choice which often is the same organization they volunteer for I've got to step it up this year I've I've got only 1 hour under under my belt but my my wife does a lot of work with uh, the Locker Project, which is an organization that addresses food insecurity for youth in the community. And she every week goes and picks up food at the Locker Project headquarters and, and brings it to the local school here. The Talbot School it used to be the Riverton School in Portland. And she had a scheduling conflict a couple of weeks ago. So I, I stepped in. Got an hour of volunteer time in. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a cool project. And we had a lot of employees that embrace it for sure.
1: That's awesome. And I'm curious with that, are you, are you also tracking like where folks are volunteering or, or any of that or um, like, we do. Oh, okay, cool. We do.
0: Yeah. 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 You know, how many hours that they report, how many hours they volunteer and what the organization was that they were volunteering for.
1: That's really cool. And I know you, your support of workers and commitment to community and the environment are all reflected in the. B Corp certification that you all did in 2019. I'm curious, how did you first hear about B Corp's and what did the process look like on deciding to actually pursue certification?
0: You know, I had heard about it. We we finally got certified uh, in September or October, I think September of 2019. So about a year, a year and a half ago. And I had started hearing about it probably four or five years prior and kind of gradually started to learn more about it. Um we work pretty closely with uh Patagonia out in California um with a lot of our merchandise and um they were one of the early adopters of B Corp and they've always been real open in sharing their B Corp experiences on New Belgium brewing a, a, a good a uh, very good friend of ours in the industry is a is a certified B Corp. So I started familiarizing myself with it over a number of years. We didn't jump right into it because one of the things I learned pretty quickly was it's a very, very involved, uh, rigorous process becoming certified. So we wanted just to make sure before we jumped into it, we were being uh, very, very thoughtful about it. Um, but, you know, we we finally did really get to work on it probably a year or so before um, we got certified and finally got certified in, in, in late 2019. But, you know, it, it, it really, as I started to learn more and more about it, it, it really like picked up personal momentum for me just because I saw a ton of connections with the things that have always been important to me and have motivated me. I mean, really, you mentioned uh, community and employees. You know, another pillar of B Corp is the environment. And those are all things that um, we talk a lot about here and we get very involved with, act on. Like I said, they're all things that motivate us. We've got a really strong philanthropy program. It it dipped a little bit in in 2020 just because our sales took such a big hit. But, you know, in 2019, we gave about three hundred and seventy thousand dollars back to the local community. Um, We've we've. Always got lots of sustainability initiatives um, going here at the brewery. And it's always been very Im- important for us um, to uh, create a, a great work environment for our employees. That they really it's, it's been important to me since di- since I hired my first employee a year into uh, running Allegash. I did it alone for the first year. But from the moment I hired my first employee, I really wanted to create a workplace that people uh, really looked forward to, to coming into and in, in a place where they felt like they had um, growth opportunities. So, you know, in a nutshell, just community, um, employees, environment, those are things that I felt like really dovetailed well with the things that were important to us. So I looked at it as a no brainer.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm curious. What was kind of the most challenging part about going through the certification, and, and how did you navigate that?
0: So it indeed is very rigorous. I, I don't, I, I don't remember exactly how many pages long it was. You know, we we printed it out early on, and you know, it lived on a lot of people's desks because it it really reaches into every facet of the business here in our lives. But I think it was about fifty pages, double sided, so very very rigorous. You know, one of the things I learned that, you know, is actually has actually become a very valuable tool for us is B Corp really emphasizes how important it is not only to care about these issues and act on them, but actually document them internally to have like living documents. And I'll give you an example. You know, I thought that on water conservation, which absolutely appears on the on the B Corp um, assessment. I thought we'd knock that one out of the park because that's something we've been working on for nearly 20 years. And we really are. I, I look at us as being best in class in terms of reducing, uh, reducing water per barrel of beer. We we produced to, to really a pretty best in class level. And, and I thought we'd get very high marks for that. Turns out we got no credit whatsoever for it, because we did not have a a written document and written plan uh, to to conserve water. Now, we we do now, and there are a lot of things that we had been working on for years that we didn't actually have, like institutionalized, like documented, written plans. I, I really do believe, as we start documenting more of these things, that we're going to be more successful with them, and that in turn will improve our B Corp score. But you know, it, it's more important to me just to do better on those on those fronts, and you know, an improved B Corp uh, B Corp score is just kind of a collateral benefit to those
1: efforts. Absolutely. Um, sp- speaking of which, how. Kind of pivoting a little bit, how has being a B Corp certified business and and kind of going through the assessment? I think you kind of touched on this a little bit, but how has it how has it helped the business since going through it?
0: I mean, it's it's helped on a lot of fronts. I really feel like we've made uh, significant um, sustainability improvements here. Again, having programs in place to document. I mean, one of the one of the one of the initiatives we've had in place for quite a while is reducing carbon dioxide. Uh, consumption. And it's something we'd always worked on, but now we've got like a written plan in metrics and we indeed are reducing our carbon dioxide usage. And we even recently just installed a nitrogen tank, which was a pretty, it was a pretty big CapEx investment, but we've been able to substitute nitrogen um, for carbon dioxide use pretty significantly over the past uh, four or five months since, since we installed that tank so uh, there you know a- another example that pops right into my head um, with recycling. there are a lot of things we use in this industry that are they're difficult to find homes for in the recycling stream, and some of them, if they end up in the recycling stream, they can actually contaminate it and one example of that is those plastic pack tech tops that, that you commonly commonly see on four packs and six packs of beer. Those really don't do the recycling stream any favors. And ideally, those get separated, collected, and sent back to the plant that makes those in the first place. Well, it's hard with with no single point to get those to, to recycle those. I mean, you've got 170 or so breweries in the state, and even if they're all collecting them, it's not very efficient to get them all to one point. So we are almost ready to launch a program where we're going to be collecting some of those items where it's hard to find uh, a recycling stream for the pack tech tops stretch wrap is another one corrugated cardboard. And just with our scale, we're going to be able to collect a lot of these items and create uh, a much more sustainable waste stream, just not only for us, but for other brewers in the community. So that's another recent initiative. So you know, we have a bunch of initiatives going all over the map. You know, unfortunately, we got certified right before COVID hit. So that's obviously been a been a huge distraction. I mean, we we going into COVID were 70 percent of our volume was in the restaurant and bar channel. So, um, you know, it's, been a, it's it's been quite an effort. Uh, pivoting to get sustainable through through this whole thing. But, you know, like those two efforts I mentioned on the B Corp front, we we continue to work hard on that front.
1: How, yeah, I'm so curious with, it sounds like essentially 70% of your business being wiped out. How, how what did pivoting look like? And And, and I'm curious if you have any advice for maybe other businesses that are still navigating that and, and struggling to find a way to pivot because it seem because I, I know that you guys did a bunch of really incredible, great work in 2020, despite that setback.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, 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 that, it was a, our model really was based on the restaurant and bar channel. Um, I mean, obviously just as uh, uh it, it's been sad to see how that channel has been so negatively impacted by this. I mean, I've got a lot of my best friends basically are, are, are in the bar and restaurant business. So it's just, it's been tough to watch um, for sure. Like hopefully this whole thing is gonna be over before too long. And that segment, um, uh, you know, that bar and restaurant channel is able to bounce back and, and get healthy quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was our bread and butter for, for 25 years, that restaurant and bar channel. 65% of our of the volume of the entire company was draft, and that obviously went to that channel. And then about 5% of our business was bottles and in, in cans in that channel. And, you know, when you've been relying on a channel like that for 25 years and overnight without warning, 70%, you know, that gets taken away and 75, 70% of your business is, is gone. It creates a pretty significant challenge and problem. Um, luckily just prior to, well, really for a couple of years prior to COVID, we understood how reliant we were on that channel. But we also saw just huge opportunity in the off-premise channel. So grocery, chain liquor, uh, convenience. We saw a huge opportunity because we were so underdeveloped in those spaces for, for cans and bottles. And of course, cans are very popular nowadays. So we just really a year or so prior to COVID, put together a long-term five-year plan to develop that side of the business, the, the um, bottle and, and can side of the business. And a really important part of that effort was was a, a very significant investment in a very versatile, state-of-the-art canning line here at the brewery that can basically do any, any can format of the diameter can that we use. So we can do a four-pack, 16-ounce um, with the pack tech top. We can do a wrapped... 12-ounce, six-pack, a wrap, 12-ounce, 12 12-pack, 12 you know, so on and so on. So very, very versatile line. And our plan was, um, with a bunch of innovation that we had lined up, was to just incrementally over a four or five-year period, roll out more and more items from that line and, and slowly adapt our sales team uh, to sell to that channel. So, when that business went away overnight, and you know, it seems naive to think of it now. I thought restaurants and bars would close down for two weeks, and in a couple of months we'd be back up and running. Well, a month and a half or so in, into COVID, we realized that this could be a really long-term thing, and so uh, you know, we're all using the word pivot a lot now. You know, we decided it was critical to our survival to the pivot like very quickly. To that channel, um, to the uh, bottle and 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 can off premise channel, and basically take a four year plan and, and compress it into just a few months. So we really in May, June, and July, we did it. We did four or so years worth of work just in three months. Rolling out a bunch of new items, uh, we completely retooled our sales team to go from um, you know spending a ton of time in the on-premise restaurant bar channel to restructuring the sales team to sell to the, to the grocery and, and, and convenience channel. Um, we had to retool uh, our uh, production scheduling here quite a bit and, you know, our inflow of raw materials. Um, so we, we really changed the business top, top to bottom to be sustainable long-term and, um, without that, uh, bar and restaurant channel. And, you know, like I said, uh, hopefully in a, in a couple months, that channel will come back and we will be there for it. You know, I can't wait to go in, uh, you know, have a, have a pint of, uh, pint of beer with just my good friends in, in that industry and not have to be six feet apart and not have to be wearing a mask, but, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, that channel is struggling now and, but, but we re we, we really have retooled the business so we can survive long-term on, on the package side. But it, it was a pretty monumental, all hands on deck effort for sure.
1: That's incredible. I mean, and I'm curious, do you, do you feel like, whew, or is there, it's still very much like in the thick of it?
0: You know, I feel like, I mean, we're absolutely still in the thick of the restaurant and bar channel struggling, you know, absolutely still in the thick of that. But we moved so fast out of necessity to shift the business so we could uh, rely on the package long-term, you know, a lot of that work we've already got under our belt and we did. And, you know, we've gotten to the point now where we, we like I said, we can survive long-term with that package channel. I mean, we're, we're sure not operating in a way that I'd like to be operating long-term. I mean, we've had to make huge expense cuts on like, on tons of fronts, but, you know, we're going to, we will, we'll, we'll survive it. And we've done a lot of that work. And, you know, in a lot of ways, we're just kind of keep, keep pushing it selling beer on the package beer front and just hope, hope that this, we can get COVID in the rear view mirror sooner, sooner rather than later. But a lot of that work we did last
1: summer. That's great. And so what's amazing to me is that in, in spite of the pandemic and everything that ever you know, especially, you know, in that industry have been up against, Allagash still did a lot of really incredible work for the community. I think it was, you still were able to donate over $300,000. There was beer donated to be distilled down to sanitizer for frontline workers. You're actually gifting actual cans of beer to frontline service folks, um, which is just incredible. And I know part of those community efforts included in participating in the Black is Beautiful campaign. Yeah. And you're also... A member of Crafted for All, can you share with us what being a part of working towards racial justice and equity has meant to Allagash and ways you continue to support folks of color in our local community?
0: Yeah, I mean, th- this is work that is very important to me, and it's work we're going to continue to do here um, at the brewery and with the community. And yeah, I mean, it's just it- it's an example of how we've shifted our engagement with the community. We weren't as able. Uh, to give just in terms of dollars from a philanthropy perspective, just as our sales uh, took such a big hit. But we've been engaging with the community in, in, in different ways on, on a number of fronts. Um, you mentioned the Black is Beautiful beer, which was a great beer. I'm, I'm hoping we can uh, brew it again next year. Uh, but that's a beer that we in other breweries around the country participated in this as well. Um, It it was a collaboration with a brewery in San Antonio called Weathered Souls. And all the profits for this beer uh, go to organizations that fight racial injustice. Um, Actually, one uh, story that when we did a press release that we were going to be making this beer, we got a customer that called and complained and said, You know, I've got a bunch of friends in the bar business. I've got a bunch of friends in the in the retail business. And if you make this beer, you know, I'm not going to make your I'm not going to drink your beer anymore. I'm going to do everything I can to get it off the shelves. And I'm not a racist, but I just don't want you making this beer. So I thought about it a little while and I said, you know, you know what? Now we're going to donate twice our profits to this cause. So, I mean, that call motivated me to get even more engaged with these efforts and um, the profits for this particular beer this year um, are going to go to Indigo Arts Alliance, which is in Portland. And that organization cultivates artistic development for people of African descent in the community. And we also donated to Maine Inside Out, which works with in- incarcerated youth. Um, you know, we, we did a Black Lives Matter statement that I'm, I'm really proud of and a uh, cool, cool story with that. We, for quite a while, Prior to all of the unrest and the Black Lives Matter movement this summer, had been uh, supporting Ann Jambo, which is a local magazine that publishes news in a number of African languages for African immigrants to, to the Portland community. So we've been working with them for a while. And to continue to support Ann Jambo and to show our support for that community here in Portland, we, we published a, a, a pretty um, sizable ad with our Black Lives Matter statement in Amjambo. And a local artist from Gabon, TT Debaccarod, he saw that Black Lives Matter statement in Amjambo. Um, he was so moved by it. he went around and got as many copies of Amjambo as he as he could get and cut that Black Lives Matter statement out and incorporated it in a sculpture that he built on congress street and i was watching this sculpture get built um, i had no idea that our statement had been incorporated in the in the sculpture so it was pretty it was pretty cool for us to hear a couple weeks after we finished um, i'm not sure how we got in touch with them but he he contacted us and told us how much the statement moved him. So it was it was pretty cool to hear that he incorporated it in the sculpture. And, and we hope to work with him in the future. You know, again post COVID, uh, to maybe do a sculpture somewhere here on uh, on the Allegash site. So that that work absolutely is is important to us, and and will continue to be important to us.
1: That's so great, and thank you so much for for all those efforts. It's it's so so important. Um, on the environmental front, you do some really cool stuff as well. Uh, you have a, a green team. Can you share with us how that got started and, and what that work looks like? Yeah. So that's been around, and it, and it started when we were a lot
0: smaller and we really were, uh, we didn't have it in the budget for someone full-time in a sustainability role. So that's kind of how it, how it got its birth. And, you know, like the innovation program, we've got so many passionate employees with so many amazing ideas, um, that innovation program is a way to just harness ideas um, regardless of where they come from the organization and that's that 's kind of how the green team evolved it was It was before it, and you know we 're still kind of in this uh, position we 're still a pretty small company, and we 're unable to have someone full time in a sustainability um role, but this was a team of people, and they come from a number of different departments in the company. Pretty much every department has representation on the green team. And it's just kind of an incubator team to come up with ideas for us to to get to be more sustainable. And, you know, a a lot of cool efforts have come out of this. You know, it seems commonplace now because a lot of us are are doing this. But we were one of the early adopters for uh, food composting in the very early stages of garbage to garden. I don't know if any businesses were using it or not. um, One of the members of the green team said, you know, let's quantify how much food we're putting in our dumpster and figure out what the cost is and and see if we can actually save money and find a more sustainable stream for, for food waste here at the brewery. So someone on this team literally went around for about a month and a half and dug through garbage cans for food waste, weighed the food waste each day, and we figured over a year we would actually save. I think it was like five hundred and twenty-five dollars, which you know, it isn't a, it's not a ton of money for for a company this size, but it's it's savings and it's a, it's a more sustainable channel for that waste. You know, another example, uh, we get our glass bottles on pallets that have these. Uh, plastic bands, these green plastic bands on them. We fondly call it pallet kelp for these plastic bands. But the plastic bands, we literally were having to throw in the dumpster because they they uh, contaminated the recycling team, they, the recycling uh, stream. They get tangled up in the equipment uh, that sorts the recycling. So one of the, you know, the, the, a couple people on the green team got to work to find uh, a channel for this waste. And we were able to get this cool machine that we basically feed this plastic into. It chops it up into uh, short little links. And when we have a full, you know, pallet tub of these, we're able to ship it directly to the factory that melts, melts the, uh, Strapping back down, and so it 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 doesn't even go into the recycling stream; it goes straight straight to where it's melted down and made into more and made into more strapping. So initiatives like that on all fronts. In, In that program, I mentioned. To help smaller breweries in the area um, finding recycling streams for stretch wrap for uh, for the pack tech tops that also came out of the green team. So we just we constantly have ideas that 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 come out of that group.
1: That's really cool. And I'm curious is is that group is that something that anyone in the company can join and be a part of, or or how how do folks get involved with it? That work there that are curious to be part of it.
0: It is. They just if someone's interested in getting involved, they just exp- express interest uh, to the team. And, and we try to with that team, just like with some other teams like that, that pilot brew system that I mentioned, um, we try to ro- rotate people through those teams. So someone might be on that pilot brew team. I'm not sure how many years, two or three years. And then we'll, we'll rotate and and give someone who hasn't been on the team an opportunity an opportunity to get involved. Really, anyone it, anyone that's wa- that wants to get involved with those, you know, we try to keep create space for them at some some point, and we also try to have broad representation at the company. I mean, for something like the the green team, we'd probably miss out on opportunities if we just had uh, members of our production and and brewing team. So we we really work to have um, hopefully someone from um, the administration uh, department from the uh, warehouse, Warren Ave, from from brewing. Um, so, just because there may be waste stream opportunities there that one facet of the company just isn't seeing.
1: Yeah, and that actually brings me back to a, a question. I saw that people, if they if they collect their caps and like the cages or corks, all that sort of stuff, they can drop them by the the brewery, and and you all will will recycle them. I'm curious, and it sounds like this might be, I might be getting ahead of myself, but it sounds like this might be part of that larger plan to incorporate other breweries and stuff. But if there are folks who want to participate in helping that, but maybe aren't local, can can they collect all their stuff and like ship it to you in a box or what? Or You know, no one's
0: done that. No one's done that yet. But if someone contacted us and said, hey, we want to start shipping you corks when we get a box of corks. I can pretty much guarantee we we happily take it but we absolutely we absolutely do collect I mean there are like so much stuff gets separated here we we have the same dumpster out front it, and it gets emptied at the same frequency that I had like literally in the late 90s and in the late 90s put it in perspective we were probably brewing Three thousand barrels of beer a year, and we're now brewing a hundred thousand barrels of beer a year. So if you walk around here through the brewery, you'll see a bin um, for like copper and brass fittings, and you'll see a bin for electronic waste, and you'll see a bin for magic markers and pens. We have we have a bin uh, right up here near my office outside the break room for uh, candy wrappers and like uh, you know potato chip uh, packs. So. You know, that green team has done an amazing job finding homes for all of these uh, waste streams that very often end up in the garbage.
1: That is so cool. That is really, really cool. Um, Blending both the environmental lens and the community lens, in 2017, you set a goal of using a million pounds of main-grown grain per year starting in 2021. I'm curious – are you now also knowing that you know COVID put a wrench in things, I'm I'm curious, are you on track to reach that goal? And and how has that pledge helped local farms?
0: Yes, yeah, so it's funny. I came up with the idea. I was mentioning Patagonia. I was out there one time, you know, they are they're um, very open about sharing best practices. And I ran into Yvonne Chenard, and we started talking about beer and then we started talking about agriculture, and then we started talking about grain and and You know, a a lot of the grain the brewing industry uses comes from, you know, the Midwest, Canada. It definitely isn't generally a locally sourced thing. And but there are all these native grain seeds from lots of different parts of the country. And it got me thinking, like, I, I wonder how viable it would be to use some of these native native grains In Maine, and at the same time, we heard about a farm up in up in Mapleton, Maine, about four or five hours north of here, uh, Buck Farms. And it turns out there they were potato farmers, and it turns out they were growing barley as a rotation crop, but they were just growing it for for feed. And they had been in touch with some brewers in the state, and. I guess they had gone to the brewers and said, Hey, do you have, uh, would you guys be interested if we were to grow hops? And the brewers said, well, we're not really interested in hops. We don't know how viable that would be, but you know, if someone was malting grain in the state, you know, that would be something we'd be interested in. And they, the farmers asked, you know, well, what is malt? And they explained, well, it's, you know, barley. And then it goes to the malter and get malted. And they're like, huh, we grow barley. <laughs> um, I mean, I never would have guessed 15 years ago that we'd even be able to buy a thousand pounds a year of, of locally grown and malted barley. But when we heard that this was starting to happen on a small scale, we thought here that, hey, if we can make a long term commitment to a really substantial amount of malted barley that is grown in Maine and malted in Maine... And work with farmers to create a long-term plan, maybe they'd be more willing to make a substantial investment to really size up the scale of these of these operations. So that's really why we made the commitment for a million pounds in five years. Um, so here we are in year five, 2021. And we have been, we've been working with farmers for the past 5 years with these long term plans very closely we've we've spent quite a bit of time up at these farms our brewmaster uh Jason Perkins is you know very very knowledgeable um with the specs that we need here at the brewery um with the grains we use whether it's malted barley raw wheat malted wheat so he's been able to use this knowledge to work work with the farmers to make sure we're getting um raw materials that are like very uh, consistent and you know it, it's been a lot of fun we were just up there for harvest uh, this last September I was able to ride in the combine which was which was really cool so we, we've gotten these great relationships um, we're buying grain from a number from a number of farms and you know, I think we're going to make it. We, we used about just over 100,000 pounds of grain our first year. Last year, I think we were up to about 730,000 pounds. 2021, a million pounds, it's going to be a push because number one, our volume has been negatively impacted by COVID. Number two, the harvest uh, last fall was, was not great because of drought. So the farmers didn't get everything they were they were hoping to get, but you know, knock on wood, we're gonna be able to do it. We're really motivated to do it. And yeah, hopefully I'll be able to report back at the end of you know 2021 that you know we hit our million pounds. So we'll see. But it's been a really it's been a really fun project. And if, if you were to tell me 15 years ago that we'd be able to do a, a million pounds of locally grown and uh, processed, whether it's, you know, dried, packaged, malted grain, I would have said it's base, it's completely impossible.
1: That's so cool. I mean, just the fact that you did over 700,000 pounds last year. I, I mean, that's, that's really cool. That's really exciting. We're three quarters of the way there. Yeah. Stuff to look forward to for sure. You know? Um, what advice would you give to businesses like ours that are currently in the certification process or for folks that maybe are just Playing around with the idea of pursuing it.
0: One of the one of the the most valuable things for us, I think, is gonna be the connection with B Corp community. It, it seems like if you're in this community, there's a lot of willingness to share best practices. And even going through this assessment initially, and we're gonna be going through it each three, you know, every three years, I really do feel like we are gonna improve on these fronts that are so important to us. I feel like we're going to become a better I- employer. Um, I feel like we're going to be able to do more for the community. And I feel like we're going to uh, be more sustainable just by like going through the assessment. I mean, the assessment, it's almost like it's in assessment that grades you on all these fronts, but it's almost in a lot of ways, like a guidebook to doing better. Like, If you can improve your score with each of these facets, you're going to be doing better. So, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, I would encourage people absolutely to do it. I mean, basically by going through this assessment process, they will be getting a guidebook to doing better. And if they're interested in becoming B Corp in the first place, I'm sure things like community employees in the environment are, are things they're considering when they're making decisions in addition to their shareholders. So these are all things that are important to them. And between this like guidebook, you basically get to do better on those fronts and the community that you become a, a member of. You're just going to be able to do to be doing better in succeeding more with the things that are important to you. So. I would say do it. It it is daunting for sure. Um, Don't jump right into it. You know, be thoughtful. Talk to a lot of, you know, talk to other uh, people who have become B Corp certified. But, you know, don't drag your feet too long. If you think like this is something, you know, I've learned about this. I've talked with a bunch of people in the community. This is something I want to do you know don't be intimidated it it's 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 a lot of work and it's pretty involved which is which is a good thing you know just dive in and and do it it, it was a little intimidating for me when we you know first started to jump into this assessment because it's pretty in depth, but you know all of a sudden a few a few months later it's like I get word that hey we got we got it completed we have the assessment completed and then a couple months later we're certified so it, it it was a uh, um, don't don't get too intimidated by it, like jump in and jump in and do it. You know, and, and interestingly enough, right after we got certified, the state of Maine started recognizing benefit corporations. So I won't get too into it here, but there's a difference between B Corp certification and a state recognition of benefit corporations. But the, the state passed legislation in the summer of 19 to recognize benefit corporations. And there's a 90 day hold. Um, and then that becomes law and we literally were first in line, uh, to get certified. I I really wanted to be like Maine's number one benefit corporation. So we went up there like an hour before the, the office opened. We wanted to be first in line, but turns out there was no one else in line that day. And I don't even think anyone registered for a few weeks, which, you know, I was glad to be first in line, but I was kind of depressed that more companies weren't lined up to be a benefit corporation. So I'm really hoping that, you know, more businesses like uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine who, who runs a local business, who, who's B Corp certified. I won't say who it is now because um, it's, it's new news. But I was like super excited, like, cool, like someone else in the community. And the more people, the more businesses that uh, get on board with this community and the more businesses that become benefit, uh, that, that get the benefit corporation status, the more aware the public's going to be and the more interest there's going to be in these certifications and, you know, the better the world. I mean, that's that's the that's the point, right? Hopefully the world becomes a better a better place and the world becomes one where businesses are not just driven by shareholder value, hopefully we can get to the point where, you know maybe the majority of businesses are driven not just by uh, shareholder value, but by consideration of the community, the employees, and the environment. So do it.
1: love that. I think that's that's great advice. and and I and it definitely it definitely feels like movement building for sure, which is really, really exciting. And especially as consumers learn more about it, it'll hopefully catch fire.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what the statistics on this are now, but it seems like the awareness for this movement skews a little bit younger, which I guess doesn't surprise me. But, you know, that's something I heard as we were going through the certification process. And it's something I've noticed um, having been certified for a while.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of public education, which hopefully we can do on this podcast, get more and more people into B Corps. Um, But so I I just kind of want to circle a little bit back to you talked a little bit about um, partnerships with other B Corps and and working with Patagonia. I'm curious, are there other B Corps that you've been working closely with? And and what have been some of those projects? uh, What did they look like?
0: You know, we unfortunately, COVID hit right as the dust was settling on our um b corp Uh, designation i mean literally it hit i don't know four or five months after um so we unfortunately just haven't gotten a ton of traction on that front but we we have you know some departments here at the brewery have engaged with departments at, at other b corps king arthur flower um is is an example that pop that pops right in right into uh my mind but it's something which you know Covid has derailed some of those plans a little bit for us, but it's something we absolutely look look forward to. More to come, hopefully, on that front.
1: Things look again more things to look forward to, just always. Yeah, always good. We can all use a little more more hope for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I do have a couple of questions from uh, some listeners that I, I know are are kind of big Allagash fans. So first off, we've got what What do you think makes Portland such a great beer city? Do you think there's a cap on how many new breweries will continue to open and succeed?
0: uh, I mean, in terms of if there's a cap, I, you know, I'll start with that one. I, I don't know. Again, if you were to tell me 15 years ago, do you think this state could support 170 or 180 or however many there are brewers? I'd be like, you know, well, a, it's a silly question because there's never going to be that many brewers and b, like, probably no, but, you know, some of the models that exist now didn't exist 15 years ago. I mean, this model of having a brewery in kind of an industrial type space where overhead's pretty low, and having a customer that's willing to come out to these parts of communities in industrial park like I'm sitting in now, and having a customer that's willing to spend fifteen to twenty dollars on a four-pack of beer. I mean, that didn't, that didn't exist back then. Um, now that it does exist, uh, I think, you know, there's opportunity for a lot of these businesses and lots of, in lots of communities. Uh, I mean, when I, when I, back when I was getting going back in 94, 95, um, I introduced myself to a number of brewers in the community and a couple people were like, dude, don't start it here. There are already 15 breweries in the state. Like go somewhere else. There's too many breweries here. So the sentiment back then was, you know, 15 is too many. Now there's 150, 160, 170. I don't, I don't know what the number is, but uh, you know, I, I I don't, I don't know the answer. Uh, My my guess is there will be the addition of uh, a, a number of more breweries. And I don't see why every community couldn't Um, have a local brewery or a number of local breweries. I mean, it's kind of become a a pastime in communities. I mean, out here where we have really five breweries within a stone's throw of of Allagash, you know, it's amazing to come out here on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday, you know, when there's not a, a pandemic and see literally hundreds of families spending the afternoon Out here, And these breweries are contributing to the community in so many different ways. I mean, we're inefficient. We brew on a really small scale, right, compared to the mega breweries. So we're creating tons of jobs to make this beer. You know, we're creating gathering places. We talked a bunch about the philanthropy that we're doing. Well, a lot of our uh, um, a lot of the breweries in the brewing community are absolutely are absolutely uh, philanthropic. So there's so much good done by these businesses and so much innovation. And you know, that's probably one of the reasons there's so much of that in Portland is this really does seem to be a community that's just very open to innovation on lots of fronts, you know, and the art front, the uh, food front, just the Im- amount of innovation in, in, in Portland is just amazing on that. On the food front, and then of course on the beer front. So it's it's been a great it's been a great community to be a part of and to watch change over twenty five years for sure. I'm really glad I located here, and and that's all the other cool things about this town. Aside, I mean, like I was skiing last week, you know, forty five minutes from here. I was surfing this morning, twenty minutes from here. I mean, there's there's so much to do. Winter is a little cold, but it's a, it's just a great place to live.
1: Cheers to that. Love that. A um, couple, couple more questions from listeners. How does being a bigger brewery compete with the ever larger growing segment of smaller craft breweries and even nano breweries?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is you just have to constantly stay relevant, constantly. I mean, if we're relevant now... And we keep doing things exactly like we're doing them now, five years from now, we're not going to be relevant. I mean, we always have to stay relevant. And I think it gets down to, in a lot of ways, exactly what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes or so. is like, keep doing all these things. Keep pushing on all these fronts. Keep pushing on the diversity and inclusion front. Keep pushing on the innovation front. Keep engaging with the community in different ways. Um, I think you just have to always, always be pushing to, to stay relevant. And and that's honestly what makes it fun. Otherwise things get stodgy. I don't want to be doing in five years. I don't want to be doing exactly what I'm doing today. I want to be like making uh, some cool new beers that I couldn't even imagine now, like engaging with a community in different ways. Um, and, you know, we, appreciate the value of these uh, breweries in this community. I mean, more brewers in the community brings more awareness to the craft beer world and hopefully brings more customers into this fold. And we've been very happy and willing to help uh, brewers in this community where we can. We've got a a very sophisticated lab program here with, I think we have seven full-time people now on on our lab staff and we've got a lot of like very sophisticated state-of-the-art equipment. I mean, that's one of the things we've, we've done with volume growth. We've been able to give more back to the community. We've also been able to invest in state-of-the-art equipment. Like I couldn't have dreamed of, of having here at the brewery um, uh, a couple decades ago. And if there's a brewer in the, you know, the brewers in the community know that. And if, someone's having an issue with a beer they'll often bring it to us and say hey can you help us with this and sometimes in just a couple hours we can we can turn results around for them and help them out we just ask them for a case of beer um, so we get a little a little variety there's great beers being brewed in the community and uh, we're happy to do that we're happy to do that work for them
1: that's awesome Uh, What are you most looking forward to in 2021?
0: Honestly, like the thing I'm most looking forward to is being able to walk in one of, you know, any of the many restaurants and bars that are owned by like our very good friends in the community and just be able to like sit there and have that like experience that I was so used to and like loved for 25 years um, just to be able to, you know, Walk into a place, like give someone a hug, you know, pour a fresh pint of Allagash White, you know, have conversations with different people in the community, like see a restaurant and bar like full and bustling and life back to normal. And I, I just can't wait for that day. I, I can't wait.
1: Oh, you and I think all I think all of us are, are very excited for that day.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and that was it's it was such an important like such an important an integral part of my life for 25 years i mean that was like my life like i said we were 70 uh restaurant bar channel for our business and that you know that was a huge chunk of my life for the past 25 years but yeah we all we all want it back
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. To find links to learn more about Allagash, the Blackest Beautiful National Campaign, and more, stop by the show notes at ResponsiblyDifferent.com. Also, you may have noticed in this interview, I had some questions from listeners. Drop us a note while you're at ResponsiblyDifferent.com and let us know what you like about the show, what you want more or less of, and I'll keep you posted on upcoming guests so you can submit your very own questions. Our questions in this episode came from Matt in Shaftesbury, Vermont, and Dan in Scarborough, Maine. Thanks so much, Matt and Dan. We really appreciate your questions. And up next on Responsibly Different, I sit down with Ben Knipper, founder of Burio. They are so cool. They turn discarded fishnets into skateboards, surf fins, and all the visors for Patagonia's hats, keeping millions of pounds of harmful nets from polluting our oceans and harming marine wildlife.
0: We had this novel idea, what if we could take classic pollution, upcycle it into something of high value, and by doing so, finance this effort we need to do to educate communities and implement infrastructure, and also... Demonstrate there's value in this material so people no longer choose to discard it anymore.
1: We're all in this together. Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of Deergo Collective music composed by our own Kevin Oates. You can follow us on social media at Deergo Collective or visit our corner of the internet at deargocollective.com.